through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. She was young and beautiful. She was burned alive. Were you conscious the whole time you were burning? Do you remember feeling pain? The young man responsible, his mother comes forward. You've been, but I can do this. You can do it, you can do it. Then this father left his baby locked in the car. His only son, dead. Have a seat and take a look at this picture. This is Jackie Sabarito, the beautiful 20-year-old who had everything to look forward to, everything. As an only child growing up in Caracas, Venezuela, Jackie lived the good life, beautiful and smart. She loved to sing and dance the flamingo. I love uh, hang out with friends and, you know, to go parties, to enjoy life. In college, she studied engineering with hopes of one day taking over her father's manufacturing business. She had dreams of getting married. I wanted to have a lot of children, <laughs> two, three, four children. In August of 1999, Jackie said goodbye to her parents in Venezuela to set off on a new adventure. She moved to Texas to study English. This is Jackie today. Jackie was literally burned alive during a horrific accident. The young man responsible for doing this to her is now in prison, and he agreed to talk to us about the fateful night that altered so many lives. I was a senior in high school, starter on the football team, made good grades. I was known as a good kid in the community. But one split-second decision would change Reggie Steffi's life forever. I had uh, gone out to a friend's house after work. It got late, and so I decided to go on to another party. I wasn't paying attention to how much I was drinking. I was just out having a good time. The same night, Jackie Severito was excited about going to a birthday party. I was thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to wear? After the party, she accepted a ride home from a young woman who lived near her dormitory. When we left the party, we were five people in the car four girls and one boy. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, I got in my SUV and I headed home. On a four-lane road just outside of Austin, Reggie's SUV crossed the center line and hit the car Jackie was riding in head-on. The last thing I remember was headlights and impact. Two girls in Jackie's car were killed instantly. Jackie was trapped. Her legs were pinned under the dashboard. 
She was helpless as flames engulfed her face and body. I approached the other vehicle. I couldn't get any response from anybody. I went back to my car and called 911. 911. Oh my God. What's the matter? I've got an emergency. I've got a call right. Paramedic Brian Fitzpatrick and his partner were first on the scene. When Jackie was engulfed by the flames, she was screaming and moaning and wailing an almost inhuman sound that I've never heard another person make. She continued to scream as the flames kept growing. I remember thinking at one point as well, God, just please take her and let her stop suffering. I told, help, help, help in English. She was on fire for close to a minute before they could free her from the car. Her skin, her hair, her face melted away. When I pulled Jackie out of the vehicle, parts of her were still stuck to the seat. And I was surprised to find when I walked up to the passenger side that she was moving and still moaning. I thought I were dying. I remember the sound of the helicopter. The helicopter took her to a hospital with third-degree burns covering 60% of her body. A test showed Reggie's blood alcohol was over the legal limit. They handcuffed me and said, you are under arrest for intoxication manslaughter. I went from a football field on Friday to a prison cell on Sunday through the choices I made on one, one Saturday. Four days later, he was released on bail. The first time I was made aware of the severity of Jacqueline's burns. I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I tossed and turned. On his 20th birthday, Reggie Steffi was fined $20,000 and sentenced to seven years in prison for two counts of intoxication manslaughter. He's serving time at the Luther unit of the Texas Department of Corrections. Meanwhile, Jackie woke up in a hospital blind and hallucinating, hanging between life and death. Doctors worked around the clock to save Jackie's life. Dr. Dwayne Roberts was on call that night. When I saw Jackie, she was charred beyond recognition. The eyes were totally exposed. The eyelids were essentially missing. I did not expect her to survive. Her nose and her lips and her ears literally fell off in my hands. Her parents were devastated. I cried a lot, but with such agony, it was like there was something choking me that wouldn't allow me to cry. Jackie was unconscious for 10 months. Once fiercely independent, her life now revolves around hospitals, doctors, and an endless search to rebuild her badly burned face and body. She has endured 50 surgeries, and there are many more to come. Last February, a corneal transplant enabled her to see her face for the first time. When I really see it the first time, I felt like a monster, like an alien. She depends on her father, who has devoted his life now to her care. My father is the most important person in my life. If he won't be here with me, I won't be here either. He's a person that every day, 24 hours a day, give me courage, give me energy, helps me to continue, to don't give up. He's a wonderful human. A few friends have drifted away. I had a, a good friend from Venezuela that he couldn't handle it. When I needed him, he, he wasn't over there. 
She is hurt by the stares that she sometimes receives when she goes out in public. You know, pretty looking, 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 looking at some people scared, some people, you know, admire me. Jackie is getting stronger, but faces years of treatment and uncertainty, all because of one drunk driver. I miss my body. I miss my independence. I miss my opportunities, my future, because it won't be the same. Sometimes my soul uh, wants to get out. I want to be in another body, you know, that I can do whatever I want to do. But I don't know how. Please welcome a woman who defines survival. Please welcome Jackie Severino. Thank you. Jackie says in her dreams that you are whole and beautiful. Wow. Yes, when, when I had some dreams, I remember that I had some, an accident, no? Mm -hmm. But I still beautiful like before. Mm -hmm. So something is strange, something that happened to me, but mm -hmm. I still did the same person physically mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you say that it feels like your soul is trapped inside this burned, scarred body. Yeah, I feel like uh, when you, you are like inside a car and you want to get out mm -hmm. and you cannot, because you know, if you, you go out, you will be free. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that. I feel like I, I am inside of this body, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm the same person than the before. Same person. So we were looking at your photograph here on the screen. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like you're still that person on the screen? Yes. Yes, I feel, uh, of course, not physically, mm -hmm. but inside I feel the same person mm -hmm. that have uh, bad moments and good moments, mm -hmm. but, uh, good behavior, mm -hmm. bad behavior, you know, mm -hmm. like a normal person. Mm -hmm. Now, when you walk down the street, I'm sure that you get a lot of stares because when people see you, it's, it's rare that anybody's seen anybody this scarred, this burned, who actually survived. And how do you handle that? How does that make you feel? If we'll be the kids or something like that, I understand then because they are kids, you mm -hmm. know, they are innocent and they, they don't know. But if we'll be adults and they want to look at me and look and look and look, you know, I think inside my mind, I say, come on, I don't have do anything, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But I, I, uh, on the other hand, I think that sometimes people don't understand. Yeah. How do you feel about the man who is now in jail? He'll be in jail for six, seven years, yes. and he will be out, and he will go on with his life. While you are, you have already had 50 surgeries and will have countless more surgeries. How do you feel about him? Do you harbor anger towards him? Do you harbor anger toward the fact that, you know, he made a stupid mistake driving, intoxicated? I feel, uh, I can say like a, three or four times a year when I'm very, very depressed that I say, oh, come on, why he did this? But really, really not. And I think he, he's not a criminal. He's a, a responsible person that took a bad decision in a bad time, you know? It's something that he, he didn't want to do it. Because if he will say, yeah, I want to go out and kill people, I will say I'll go to jail and, you know, mm -hmm. everything. 
but in my opinion, he's not a criminal. But he should do something because he needs to understand what happened or what he did because it's mm. not my life, it's not my father's, my father, my mother, my family, no, it's everybody around me, my friends, you know. Because you lost two friends that night. Yeah, yeah. I lost two friends. Lost two friends. Did you ever think, because none of us who have experienced this can even pretend to imagine what that pain and horror, were you conscious the whole time you were burning? Do you remember feeling pain? About pain, really, really, no, I don't remember. I remember that uh, I, I was like a trap in the car, and I remember uh, when I say like a help, help, and in my mind, I remember a couple of times that I have like a couple, you know, small accidents in my country, and I say, oh my goodness, this, I, I won't make it. I won't make it, I mm -hmm. won't make it. I know that you say every day of your life is a fight. You yes, know, all of us wake up, we complain about everything going on in our life, but for you, every day just to get up and get dressed is a fight. Yeah, it is a fight because it's, it's so difficult sometimes, you know, understand why this happened to me or why happened to anybody, no? Mm -hmm. And... Are you, are you glad that you lived? Yes, I'm glad. You're glad that you lived? Yeah, I'm glad. Because I want to live a lot of things that I didn't. I mm -hmm. haven't enough time to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I want to leave it. I, want, don't, I don't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. You <laughs> don't know? want to lose it. No. Well, Jackie says she allows herself to cry for only about five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, <laughs> you let yourself feel sorry for yourself five minutes a day? Uh, really, it was uh, like uh, my cousin uh, idea. She mm -hmm. said, you only will have five minutes a day to cry. Mm -hmm. And then I tell you, oh, yeah, I know, because, you know. Okay, that's it. Five minutes finished. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jacqueline Saborido. This is a picture of me before I was hit by a drunk driver, before the car caught fire, before two of my friends died, before I needed more than 40 operations. This is me when my life was just like anyone else in college. This is me after being hit by a drunk driver. Don't drink and drive, ever. Well, the man who drove the SUV that slammed into the car that Jackie was riding and, as we said earlier, is in prison, and his mother, Jean Steffi, is here. She has never met Jackie. Jean, come on up. How are you? How are you? This is Jackie. Yes. What do you want to say to her? You obviously are familiar with this story. In the instant that your life changed, our lives changed. You've been... Thought I could do this. You can do it. You can do it. Beautiful. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. Sometimes something's happening in life. I didn't know what. I have prayed for you and your father every minute since this happened, as my son has. All that you've gone through, we can only feel in our hearts. But I've kept. I've kept 
track of everything that's going on with you. I thank God for your sight, and I pray every day for those miracles that will restore your life. But most of all, I pray that he keeps the joy in your heart <laughs> because you are the most beautiful person, and he needs, I think he needs you and your strength and courage to be an example to all our precious young children that in an instant, life changes in an instant. And we have to be responsible and cautious and thoughtful of that all the time. Well, I, I'm sure that was hard. That's yes, hard. it's very hard, yeah. but it also feels so good for you to hug me. No, it's okay. Okay, don't worry about it. So I hear there's one thing that you say you wish you could have done differently, and that is? Well, my son was 18, and he had taken full responsibility for himself. This, this was his action, his decision, and his move, and his regret. But in raising Reggie, I was, uh, I, I was always very strong-willed and it's right or it's wrong. There's no in-between. It's black or white. And drinking was not allowed. And youth do drink and they do test and they always find a way. And I simply said, no, it's not acceptable. If I could do something different, I would give him, I would tell him, don't do it. But if you do find yourself in that circumstance, call me. I promise I won't admonish, I won't speak of it. I'll just come and get you. Just call me. He didn't feel he had that option with me. Mm -hmm. I didn't give him that option. Mm -hmm. And I would pray every parent remember to do that, no matter what your other thoughts are. Be sure they have the option to call you and they, they, won't, they won't be hesitant. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Well, you know, many people could never find it in their heart to forgive someone for ruining their life. Mm. Listen to how Jackie feels about your son who did this to her. Forgiveness is important for the soul, for my own soul, you know, to live in peace. When I was first able to meet with Jacqueline and the other victims, they walked in and greeted me as a human being. They gave me a hug and Jacqueline said, I don't hate you. And that was a life-changing moment. This person that I had caused so much pain and changed their life in so many ways. I know that her spirit wasn't taken away. I know that she is one of the most beautiful people inside. And her compassion that she has shown to me and her will to see something good come out of this, that helps me deal with it. Thank you, Jean, and thank you, Jackie. I think we've all learned a great deal from you today. And I know you have many more surgeries to endure, and you will be in our prayers. For my guest today, it is the one moment in time they wish they could take back. And hopefully all of us will learn something, benefit in some way from hearing these stories. 
It's the one moment in time they wish they could take back, but can't. You're going to hear this next story and say, but for the grace of God, go I, because we have all been there. You have a hectic morning, a lot of things on your mind. You're rushing to get to work. That's exactly what happened one morning to the Costello family. Listen to this. Tyler was a big baby from the beginning. He had a huge smile. And yes, he had big cheeks. He pretty much looked a lot like me, only in a miniature version with red hair. He was very happy. He was quiet. Um, he was probably the best baby that uh, we had had. With two full-time jobs and two young children, the Costellos had a busy household and mornings were hectic. On a normal day, I would take my daughter Emily to daycare and my wife Melody would take our son Tyler to Grandma's house. On this particular day, I was responsible for taking Tyler to the babysitter and then, and then proceeding to work. Todd put nine-month-old Tyler in the car seat and left for the babysitter's house. He was so focused on getting to work that day and so absorbed with the big presentation he had to give, he drove straight to the office, forgetting to drop his son off at the babysitter. He didn't realize Tyler was asleep in the back seat when he locked the car and went inside. A coworker came running into my office, screaming at me about my baby. He pointed outside to the car and he actually said Tyler's name and that he was in the car. We just ran outside. I, I, it became very surreal. He was not a, of regular color. He, was, it, it, he almost looked like a doll, very pale. His lips were blue. It's not a nice image to recall. Tyler had been in the car nearly three hours. It was a hot summer day and temperatures reached 88 degrees outside. 911, what's your emergency? I have a small infant. He was locked in the car. I forgot about him for uh, two hours. Okay, is he breathing? He's not breathing. Oh my God, this is all my fault. Oh my God. I scooped him up and I ran back into my office with him and put him on the floor and that was difficult. Trying to revive your own child. Just begging for help. And not knowing when it's gonna show up. The paramedics came quickly. Todd wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. Instead, he was arrested and taken to the police station where the distraught father was held against his will, desperate to be with his son. I'm sitting in a police station, and at that point I'm by myself, and I'm handcuffed to a bench. I didn't know if my son was uh, still alive. Todd's wife, Melody, rushed to the hospital after getting the emergency phone call. But I needed to see my baby. It was too late. He didn't survive. I was just holding him, and um, I remember I wanted to put him over my shoulder, but I couldn't because he was just, he was, he was cold and he was hard and I couldn't move him. I just broke down. Hours later, police finally released Todd. He raced to the hospital and met the chaplain. And he said he was so sorry. But Tyler hadn't made it.
I, I, I just, I squeezed him and I screamed. They escorted me into the hospital to a room where Melody was sitting with Tyler. She was sitting in a rocking chair, holding him. He was wrapped up, but he still had the tube in his mouth. I just dropped to my knees. I just, I just told her that I was so sorry, and I begged for forgiveness. And I don't know the words to to say. When you, when you find out that your, your, your son is, is dead and this is your moment to say goodbye to him. So Todd has never talked publicly about what happened that tragic day until now. I've been doing this a long time and this is one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. How did this happen to you? It was just, uh, it really was a crazy week that we had scheduled. Mm -hmm. What kind of work do you do? I, uh, I'm a project manager. I'm mm -hmm. an account executive mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. So you had a presentation. I had a, I had a client coming into town. I had a lot of paperwork I had to catch up on. I had some materials that I had to prepare. Mm -hmm. We were planning to get things done in a three-day week. We had a wedding coming up. People were already making flight arrangements. Mm -hmm. So. It Wedding was, coming up for someone else, not yes, yeah. for, for your sister. sister. Okay, and so you broke your routine is what happened. You normally take your daughter, and you normally take Tyler. Mm -hmm. So you broke the routine. Yes. So you were sort of like moving unconsciously, like a lot of people do through rote. You just you never do that. You get home sometimes, and you don't even know how you got there. You don't remember the stop signs or the whatever. So that was what the morning was like for you. Even though you had him, you went, you put the baby, Tyler, in the back seat and all of that, and then just drove straight to work. Just drove to work. Mm -hmm. And it... What were you focused on at that point? Your presentation? Your what? A, a normal morning routines with, with new clients. Uh, I had a series of meetings that mm -hmm. had to be taken care of. So that moment when somebody comes into the office, which was two or three hours later, two hours later, warm Close day. And somebody comes to the office and say, says, your son is in the car, your baby is in the car, and uses his name. Did you think that, is that the first time it occurred to you? I don't understand why he's in my office yelling at me and what he's yelling at me. It just didn't register at first. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. what was he saying, the person who was yelling at you? He was just saying that, you know, the baby's in the car, the baby's in the car. Mm -hmm. it, just, it just really didn't register. It did not kick in until he physically said that, that Tyler was in the car and I needed to get up right now. And then it registered. It, it got very real, mm -hmm, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I imagine that moment of seeing your wife holding the baby, your dead son, and you have to then face her knowing, because at that point, did you know that he was responsible? Yes. You did know? I did know. Mm -hmm. And what were you thinking during this time? Shock. Mm -hmm. You're in uh, shock. Yeah. How, you know, how could it happen? Because mm -hmm. I still hadn't had a chance to talk to Todd about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And didn't know just what had happened. What had happened, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had had a series of events from the morning, from what we were told, 
up to mm -hmm. being told that Tyler had passed away, but I still had not had an opportunity to talk to Todd mm -hmm. about it. About. And so were you, well, you just described it being in shock, and unless you've been in shock, we don't know what that is. Yeah, it, I couldn't think of anything else. I mean, I couldn't think of being angry at Todd or yeah, right, right away. I want to know, were you angry with him? When he walks in the room, are you angry with him? No, no, no I was not angry with him. Because you're just still kind of stunned. Still kind of stunned. And the baby just died. Yeah. So tell me this, you were asking her for forgiveness, begging her for forgiveness, and you all are still together. So obviously you've made some peace with that. Have you been able to forgive yourself? The short answer is no. Mm -hmm. I'm human, and uh, you know, it, it, it's it took a lot of energy, and still takes a lot of energy to deal with the fact that Tyler is not a tangible part of our family. He's not there that I can go hug mm -hmm. him and kiss him, and mm -hmm. he gets to play with his sisters. I, I guess you know, I'm human, and I'm not ready to forgive myself yet. Mm -hmm. Do you think there will be a time? I hope there will be a time. Because mm -hmm. in the long run, I just, I think it would be unfair to my family. Well, I appreciate this being the, the first time you would speak about it, because I think a lot of parents will see themselves in you. You get so busy, you get unfocused, and you just sort of lose it, lose it. So what do you want to say to those parents? The real reason, and the, the reason we agreed that uh, we would never shy down from an opportunity to try and educate another parent because of how we feel. And, and, and you know, as a parent, you would never wish the loss of a child on another parent, not for a second. And, and the, the quote that I would use is, you know, on, on Sunday night, if somebody had called me and said, hey, tomorrow, you know, when you get ready to start your work week, Todd, you're gonna make a huge mistake. You're gonna make a split decision that's gonna cost your family, you know, the detrimental consequences. Mm -hmm. I would have certainly never agreed to that. Nobody in my family or our friends would have never said, you know, Todd wouldn't do that, that's not gonna happen. Right. But it did, you know. On a Monday morning, our lives changed and afterwards, we were supported by our, our family, and family friends. friends, friends from church. church. Mm -hmm. And they were all trying to comfort us and saying, it could have happened to anybody, similar to what you said. We all, you know, mm -hmm. double-income families, we're all rushing to work. We have to go here. The kids have to go to soccer practice. Somebody has ballet. Somebody has mm -hmm. flute lessons. As a parent, you know, you try to provide all these opportunities and get the kids from point A to point B. And then we were told stories by those parents and, and directly our friends. I remember when I forgot this, or I remember when we were coming to church and you know, one family, they have three, four girls. Everybody's in church and they're looking around. They're like, okay, you had the yeah. little one, right? Yeah, like and they're like, alone. no, you had the little yeah. one. Mm -hmm. No, you had, no, where yeah. is she? Yeah. Luckily that, you know, that transpired, that's five minutes, she's out in the van, but it's the same scenario. Mm -hmm. Has it forced you to slow down at all and look at your life differently? Very much so. The decision that happened on July 29th was an unconscious one. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is make a conscious decision to not 
make external events my priority. My family is my priority. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I waited 30 years to become a father. Mm -hmm. And he looked like you, he came from your body. <laughs> he looked exactly like you. Yeah. Well, there's your the... face. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting to be a parent. I love the feeling. I love being a parent, you know, and, and luckily we've gotten to experience that again. Mm. And I hope we experience it more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Todd. So. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd and Melody. Well, as we're hearing today, life can change in a split second with one bad decision. This next tragedy made international news. It was February 9th, 2001, and submarine commander Scott Waddle was taking 16 civilians on a visitor's cruise off the shores of Hawaii. As a finale to the three-hour excursion, he did one final move called an emergency surface. After quickly checking to see that all was clear, Commander Waddle went full speed ahead with this maneuver. At that moment, tragedy struck. The surfacing submarine violently collided into a Japanese fishing vessel carrying 33 people, sinking that tiny little boat within seconds. The Coast Guard spent days searching for missing bodies. We're gonna continue to search as if they're still out there. Commander Scott Waddle was abruptly relieved of command. His fatal error killed nine Japanese students and crew members. He was found guilty of dereliction of duty and negligent hazarding of a vessel. It is a mistake the once decorated naval officer says he will live with for the rest of his life. Welcome Scott Waddle and his wife, Jill. What happened? On that day, we took 16 civilian guests to sea for a distinguished visitor cruise. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this event, I performed an emergency surface maneuver to bring the submarine back to a condition where we could return to port. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we didn't see the Himi Maru, a Japanese fishing training vessel that was in very close proximity to was us. Was there some kind of clearance measure that you were supposed to make and didn't make, or it said it was clear? What happened there? We performed, uh, we went to periscope depth, which mm -hmm. allowed us to take uh, a visual search of the local area before we initiated this maneuver, and we didn't see the vessel. There was a white haze, the vessel was white, had a narrow aspect, didn't see it. You know, and those things that you ask yourselves, gosh, if I'd had two more feet of periscope sticking out, perhaps I could have seen it. If my fire controlman had realized that that solution was there and had gotten that information if, to me. If if, 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 How could it have been different? And when you found out what you had done? Mortified. And, uh, mortified. Mortified. Absolutely just shocked. I heard a thud. I heard a bang. The submarine slowed down, and I knew that something was dreadfully wrong. I raised the periscope, trained it astern, and to my shock and horror, I saw this vessel, and on the side of it, it said, high school. Oh, boy. And I thought, oh, my God, what has happened here? I've got goosebumps reliving this yeah, event. Yeah. And as I trained the periscope closer and went into high power and magnified and saw the field of view, I saw kids clamoring to get to the upper part of the vessel. It was floundering, listing astern to starboard. That is to the right side, and within three minutes, it went vertical and disappeared from view. Wow. Absolutely tragic. At one point, you contemplated killing yourself? I did. And it, your family? And my family. And, you did. You know, your audience and your viewers may be absolutely dismayed to hear that. When you're subjected to global media exposure and you're an individual that's a professional and you go from 
years of training and you're the top of your game and you achieve this decorated, pinnacle. Decorated, decorated. And yeah. I had a phenomenal crew. The Greenville was a submarine that every sailor wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. And you find that changes in an instant. In an instant. In an instant. It is absolutely devastating. Mm -hmm. As my submarine returned to port on, on Saturday morning, the following day, we arrived at 10 a.m. And to my horror, as we rounded the bend of Hospital Point, 250 photographers and camera crews were in my front yard. Mm -hmm. I was relieved of my command three hours later at home, and I found myself alone. And that night, on Saturday night, I couldn't sleep. My wife, exhausted, daughter already in bed, I walked downstairs, and I passed a dagger that a Russian officer had given to me as a gift. And I thought how easy it would be to take it upstairs and take the life of my then 14-year-old daughter, turn it on my wife, and then take my own life so that we wouldn't have to endure this crisis. The issue here is that rational people under incredible stress, will think irrationally. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, my faith, I knew the right answer. I've also trained many men mm -hmm. and taught them right from wrong. And I knew in my heart it was a wrong thing to do. Did you become depressed? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. It was, uh, I had no sense of direction. I didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. But there are things that I learned in life and mentors that helped me get through this, this horrible time. Did you have faith? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The support of faith and the support of family. And, so, that and I know Scott was saying that he struggled with it. How, how bad did it get you? Um, I felt I couldn't even um, really go anywhere without people coming up to me and knowing who I was. Are you the commander's wife? And I always held my breath thinking, what are they going to say? Are they going to say something bad? But everybody was very supportive. Mm -hmm. And I was worried about our daughter for school. The media mm -hmm. was just, it was a media frenzy. Mm -hmm. And I just Anything felt that happens to anybody now, you got, that's it. A prisoner in your home because yeah, yeah. you don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. And you're judged? We're judged. And, yes. and I couldn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. I left the Navy telling the truth. And three things occurred during this process. I wrote letters to the families and apologized. I took the stand and testified without immunity, which my lawyer said, don't do. And I said, you know, Charlie, I'm going to do this. The third thing is I made a pilgrimage in December to the Iwo Jima Prefecture and met with family members and students mm -hmm. and fulfilled three things that I knew were very important. That aside, I left the Navy with my character integrity intact and proud of who I was and what I accomplished. Very embarrassed over that tragic accident, but some good has come out of this. Do you still live with this? Do you relive it every day? There are reminders. Mm -hmm. And in the earlier segment, a father who loses a child, I can't even imagine mm -hmm. the absolute pain that an individual endures. But my good friend, you need to forgive yourself. Through that forgiveness, you will find relief. And trust me, take that burden and release it because uh, that young boy of yours is up there in another place who loves you very much and cares for you. And know that... Uh so I want to thank all my guests today, especially for sharing their powerful stories. Uh, you can go to Oprah.com to learn more about uh, Jackie's story. Remember, if, if, if anybody else drinks and drives after hearing that story today, mm would be a shame. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.